Welcome to the Scoop and School podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? You ridiculous morgoon. Hi, boy. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Your host, Stephen Kahn. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to week 12 of the college football season. Sorry I missed you last week, but I am quite confident this week will make up for it. Have a fantastic guest joining the show. I'd even go so far as to say a fan favorite. Uh, recording this on Friday in order to accommodate our guest schedule. So at this point, week 11 pretty far in the rear view. So let's just hit some of the highlights. Uh, Georgia, Cincinnati, and UTSA are all still undefeated. Oklahoma is not, as they fell 27-14 to Baylor in a game that just wasn't very competitive throughout. Uh, also of note, Baylor called timeout to kick a field goal with three seconds left, despite the fact that they were up by 10, um, because of Big 12 tiebreaker rules, according to head coach Dave Arandis. So that is something to keep in mind if these two teams end up playing again in two weeks, potentially for the Big 12 championship. Ole Miss knocked off Texas A&M 29-19, so we can put to rest any crazy plans about the Aggies getting back into the college football playoff discussion. Wake Forest outlasted NC State in a shootout, winning 45-42. The Deeks put themselves in the driver's seat for the Atlantic Division crown in the ACC. A little more on those scenarios later in the show. Florida State beat Miami 31-28 as the game ended with an illegal spike by Miami uh, because that game just pretty much manages to be stupid no matter how good or bad the teams may be. I appreciate uh, the, the Hurricanes and the Seminoles for committing to the bit. In what I think was the most important outcome of the weekend, Texas Tech beat Iowa State 41 to 38 by kicking a 62-yard field goal as time expired. Now, it was magical to watch in real time, as I was lucky enough to just happen to catch the end of that game. But this was really the gift that just kept giving throughout the week. First, with the loss, Iowa State was eliminated from Big 12 championship contention. When asked about missing out on that potential goal, head coach Matt Campbell had this to say. That was never my goal. My goal has always been one thing, and that's to become the best version of ourselves we can become. So you've never heard me say that word once. Um, You've only heard me talk about becoming the best version of yourself you can be. And really, my challenge for this year's team was to become the greatest together team in the history of Iowa State football. And so far, all of our goals are still intact from a Coach Campbell standpoint. And props to Coach Campbell, because when I watch Iowa State this year, I say it time and time again. I mean, that is one of the the most great together teams I have ever seen. So really good job uh, to Coach Campbell and the entire Iowa State uh, program for, for hitting those lofty goals this season. The next day, the Big 12 issued a public reprimand of the Texas Tech radio announcers who are being suspended for this week's game due to comments made about the officials in the game that Texas Tech ultimately won. Folks, don't ever let anyone tell you that college football isn't the best sport on earth, other than perhaps the baseball in the pool tag up from third game invented at Scarsdale Golf Club in 2002. Last game of note, staying in the Big 12, 
the Kansas Jayhawks went into Austin and beat Texas 57-56 to in overtime, converting the two-point conversion pass to a walk-on fullback who is already starring in an Applebee's commercial where he states that you gotta go for two. Uh, it was Kansas's first road win in the Big 12 since 2008, and it has put Texas on a five-game losing streak for the first time since 1956. For more on this game and the state of Texas football, let's get to our guest. All right, returning to the Scoop and Score podcast, a fan favorite that has joined in the past to discuss important topics such as Jurassic Park, Austin Barbecue, and Bachelor in Paradise. He's the editor-at-large at The Ringer and co-host of the fantastic Press Box podcast. Welcome, Brian Curtis. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, we, can we talk about Bachelor in Paradise today? Because we have to talk about college football. Uh, we believe me, we we could do uh, we we could do I'm sure an hour or so on on Bachelor in Paradise. But where would be the fun in that? Not to not to dig into the pain at all. But there have been so many off field Texas football stories in in just the last month, from secret recordings on buses to monkey bites. Uh, I'm not sure how much we're even going to be able to get to, but I, I do want you to know I did consider opening this with, with a very long question where I referred to you as an extraordinary man, uh, but but I was afraid I wouldn't be able to come to the bit the entire time. Uh, but but talk about two of your passions colliding uh, with with Texas football and a totally absurd reporter question. That had to be a bit, right? I mean, he said, he said, he opened saying a friend and I were dealing with a problem that we couldn't solve. I mean, did, did, was that real? Did, did he yeah. make up a problem just to get into that line of questioning? Yeah. Did we check the radio television film department to see if this guy wants to be the next Wes Anderson or something? <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I, I heard that. And we've kind of gotten to this point on Twitter where we always put up funny things from local news or from Laura Ingram. And I'm just constantly on guard is, is this a bit? And anything, as you said, this Texas football season has been so bad and so crazy and also bad that I could absolutely believe it was real, but I could also absolutely believe that somebody infiltrated the press conference, did something purposefully very weird and funny because that's where we are at this point. And that is what uh, Sark basically deserves. Really good uh, deadpan tone of voice by that, uh, performance artist if that was a bit. Uh, now now full transparency uh preparation not not a word that i would ever use to describe my uh process of recording this podcast but given that that you are a, a pretty good interviewer in your own right uh, i i did prepare some specific questions but i do want to keep things open-ended for you to just be a be a texas longhorns fan um but but to ease into things let's go backwards start with the good a little bit in the early days of the pandemic, um, when uh, when we were hungry for something to watch on TV, became this uh, situation where a lot of historic sporting events were shown. And one of the ones that that really seemed to garner a lot of attention uh, on Twitter was that 2006 Rose Bowl. Of course, the conclusion, 2005 college football season, Vince Young, Texas, knockoff Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush in USC. Anyone anyone listening to this should should probably know that. Um, and, and while that was being shown, uh, you tweeted uh, a, a little uh, explanation of what your day was like. And, and the tweet, if I'm not mistaken, ended with you saying, uh, best purchase I ever made. 
So uh, care to, to tell us a little bit about, uh, about what your experience was with the 2006 Rose Bowl? Absolutely. So I think the important thing here is that I was nominally a sports writer or at least a journalist when that game happened, but I went to that game as a fan and I had no interest whatsoever in seeing Texas win or try to win their first national championship in 30 plus years from the press box. I did not want to do that. Mm -hmm. So a buddy and I came out here to LA. I was, we're living on the East coast at the time. And I said, you know, I was trying to be the smart guy. And I said, you know, you're seeing all these things on, on uh, television about ticket prices going way, way up and costing hundreds of dollars. Don't worry. You can always find cheap tickets. It's always just this news story that they do. It's kind of like the airport is busy around the holidays. Of course, it's busy around the holidays. Anyway, long story short, the day of the game comes and we can't find tickets anywhere. I mean, anywhere. So finally, we call this ticket agency that just has you know, let us just not say a reputable ticket agency, something with a big, you know, a big sign. It's just like out of off the internet. And they say, oh, we got two tickets, but you have to drive out here and pay us in cash. Now this is LA. So we drive, I'm, if I'm remembering right, over an hour, fork over $1,250 each. Each. $2,500 for two tickets. And these are not fantastic tickets, by the way, to the Rose Bowl to watch Texas play USC. Then the guy, as we're forking over the money, says, oh, by the way, I don't have the tickets here, but somebody is going to meet you at the Rose Bowl like an hour before the game. So now my buddy and I, and this is the guy I went to college with, have given $2,500 to someone we don't know with the idea that someone will hopefully show up and hand us tickets an hour before the game in that big mass outside the Rose Bowl. Now, not to, not to cut you off as, as I yeah, cut yeah. you off, at what point did you stop worrying about losing the $2,500 and just start saying, are we going to be killed? <laughs> are we part of some other deal we can't quite imagine? Uh, pretty much the whole time. <laughs> I, I just really, it was one of those things where we were so nervous about the game that he could have said, you know, give me $10,000 in the deed to your mom's house. And I would have been like, okay, is that, uh, that's what it costs. How, how are we going to stop Matt Liner? You know, what yeah, are we exactly. Are we going to be able to contain Reggie Bush today? So we did all those things and the tickets showed up and my friend and I are looking at him. We're like, oh my gosh, this is still big, beautiful paper tickets. Cause I had those in 06. And then it's like, okay, we've got about a hundred feet to walk to the stadium. And are these going to be real? <laughs> because there were a lot of fake tickets. And in fact, I had friends who bought fake tickets that day. So we walk up, they do the little scan, it works. We're in the Rose Bowl. We were in there absurdly early because we were so nervous. And it was one of the greatest days of my life. And I will still never, ever, ever forget that. I'll never forget Vince Young running into the end zone and jumping up and down. And by the way, having bragging rights against all your friends, because I was in my twenties at this point, I think I was 26. and no, 26, 27. And it was a lot of those kind of like, eh, oh, we're going to go. We're going to go. Oh, we didn't get it together. Or, oh, we're going to go. Oh, I don't want to pay $1,200. I've never been happier to pay $1,200. Yeah. And, and it's funny because with sports in particular, you often have to make these travel and lodging and ticket arrangements on very short notice because you don't know your team is actually going to be there or whatever. So it, it ends up not only being expensive, but just weird and inconvenient. Like you're staying at some motel near the airport and your, your return flight is six <laughs> after the game ends or, or whatever. And, and it's, it's, there's no guarantee it's going to be money well spent. You know, if, if you buy, if you buy tickets to Hamilton, there, there's not like a 50% chance 
that they're just going to skip all the songs in the second act because because things aren't going well. So you you really have to risk that that there could be a loss at the end of that. But obviously, uh, no no greater joy than and getting well, motivated. And just fast forward to Colt McCoy getting knocked out of the game uh, four years later, yeah. which my friend and I paid about four or $500 for. So that, in, in, in practice, the, the songs were called off after the first opening number of Hamilton. Uh, so, well, and, and that's actually a, a, thank you so much, a perfect segue, because I do have the question of how long the 06 Rose Bowl shine can last, because truly one of the great championship games and, and performances of the millennium. And if mm-hmm. I think like Cubs game seven in, in 2016 or, or Villanova beating North Carolina, these are the kind of championships that I think should last longer than other run of the mill championships. So you, you say there was some sting to the, to the 2009 national championship losing Alabama there. And now we're 2021, you know, 15 years later, where, where sort of are you as a Texas fan as, you know, things have taken a bit of a downward slide? So that's a, a really interesting question with a double-edged answer. And the first part is I'm still in basking in the glow of 2005, 2006. And, I, and I'll never stop because we got one and I got one. And I feel like, you know, when you go to the school and you have your four years there and they didn't win a championship and they do win a championship, they'll never take it away from me. And, you know, the Cowboys haven't won a uh, Super Bowl since I was in high school, but I'm still happy because they won all those titles when I was in high school. And it was just like, I got mine, right? It's okay. Somebody, somebody who didn't get theirs, it, I know it'd be really frustrating, but I got mine. I know what that feels like. I was happy. So in a way I'm fine, right? If I get one forever. Now that said, the last 10 years have been absolute hell <laughs> because Texas has not only been really mediocre, but there's this kind of generic how can the Longhorns be that bad thing you hear from the national media? And that's the same question I'm asking. Yeah. Because as we know, for big schools, the schedule is set up for you to win eight games. If you just show up, what, seven games, eight games, without really trying really hard, then if you're really good, you win 12 or 11 to get to the playoff. Texas just lost five games in a row. And I don't understand how that happens. Um, I guess I understand the big factors, but I don't understand how this is actually happening. So it's been uh, it's been really uniquely terrible. Yeah. And, and I imagine the macro is more concerning than the mic. I mean, the macro meaning Mac Brown, 158 and 48, Charlie okay, Strong, 16 and 21. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tom Herman, 23 and 13. And uh, Steve Sarkeesian now four and six. The micro last 18 quarters. 38 to 20 lead at halftime against Oklahoma and things have not gone well since how do you sort of, how do you sort of marry the two? Do, do you put, do you put Charlie strong and Tom Herman in the past and, and just say, okay, we're, we're on to the current regime and, and this is how it's going to be. Or do you have to look at the entire thing sort of as, as one trajectory? I think you can do the think piece and, and go all the way back to those last couple of years of Mac Brown when the, talent level really took a dip and when Texas just didn't have much direction either from its head coach from its coordinators and wasn't really a modern college football program with analysts with a you know with a modern offense all those kinds of things and trace it back you can do that all you want but you know I'm kind of this thing where everything about Texas football in the last 10 years feels like uh when you look at the list of 19th century presidents and you're like oh that guy was president can I go that guy was a head coach Tom Herman Charlie Strong, they were the head coach of town. Oh, right, I remember that. When we were losing to Kansas the other day, so they put up a, 
a close game between Texas and Kansas under Herman. And I just have no memory of that game at all, which is scary because I can remember almost everything. But now we're starting to get to the point where I just have whole seasons of Texas football that I've just blacked out. Yeah. And the only way to think about it is to think about what's next, as unpleasant as that may be. And in the current, you know, under Coach Sark, he he was never particularly successful as a head coach. He, he sort of got the moniker seven wins Sark. Um, you know, the best thing that a, a failed head coach can do is go be a coordinator under Nick Saban, it seems. So he, he got that shine, came over. Now, it obviously a, a somewhat touchy subject to discuss, but is, is, there, is this maybe a situation where Texas Brass thought that he could be a better head coach than he was previously because he's gotten over some of those personal struggles that, that he dealt with when he was at Washington or USC? Um, you know, is, is this just another example of Texas going after the hot name with a small sample size? Is it a little bit of both? What, what's your take on that? I think they were a little seduced by what he did with the greatest offense ever at Alabama. But I also think they were had a problem, which is they wanted to get rid of Tom Herman. Urban Meyer told them no, and they didn't have a great candidate. And I think if you look at every Texas hire since Mac Brown, they've been in a place where they just didn't really have the candidate they wanted. So they went out and got a really good candidate, Charlie Strong at Louisville, Tom Herman at, at Houston. But it wasn't that A plus, this is our guy this is destiny. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't a Mel Tucker sitting out there. We go, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy, let's go get that guy. He's put together a resume and it's, he's ready for a job like this. And they settled. And this is what happens sometimes when you settle. You mentioned Mel Tucker, you know, Mel Tucker probably, he he certainly wasn't the obvious candidate going from Colorado to Michigan state. So, you know, I, I would say sometimes maybe Texas is guilty of, of taking the guy that just seems obvious to the outside world, not digging deeper. Do you, you, you mentioned the interesting point, obviously about urban Meyer. Do you think if Texas knows that they don't get urban Meyer, do you think they keep Tom Herman? Um, I think they probably wanted to, to move on anyway. I mean, I think, I think what happened, I think the sequence here is they asked urban Meyer, he said no. And then they got rid of Tom Herman anyway because the recruiting was really, really bad. I mean, you know, you know this too, like there's this whole thing of, okay, you have a quote unquote blue blood program, which is always funny to me with Texas, when one national championship since the early seventies, but let's, let's go with it. Blue blood program. Let's go out and get one of these great coaches. Let's solve our problems that are projecting a Steve Sarkeesian. Let's just go get a guy who's going to win. Problem is there are like five of these coaches, maybe four, maybe, maybe talk me into three of these coaches right now. One's in the pros, right? So unless one of those guys happens to be available or you engineer a kind of Jimbo Fisher from Florida state to A&M thing. And I think he'd be on the periphery of those type of guys. Anyway, you really just have to have great timing. You have to find Nick Saban after he's had a disappointment with the dolphins and wants to get the hell out of the NFL. You have to catch Urban Meyer between jobs, or you have to bet on somebody like Dabo Swinney, and it works out. So I just, I just think that's a lot of luck involved in that, and a lot of timing involved in that. I think Texas would happily pay somebody like ten million dollars if they could, and certainly probably would have in Urban Meyer's case. But timing just hasn't been there. Yeah, that's all good points, and uh, Alabama on the schedule in in twenty two and twenty three. So. Oh, unfortunately, you know, you, right. you're you, worried about Alabama. I'm worried about you to T San Antonio next year. Let's 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 not let's not run before we can walk. The Roadrunner is a favorite on this podcast for sure. 
I mean, yeah, it's 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 maybe uh, I, I hate to I hate to talk about adjusting what success looks like because that's not what college football is about. College football, I think, is really about the arrest. I mean, you talk about you're you're not sure if you should be called a blue blood. Notre Dame guy here, you, you're you're well within your right to uh, to to be a blue bud with uh, with one championship this millennium. Uh, you you are talking to a 30 year old Mets, Jets, and Notre Dame fan. So I <laughs> that's a tough call. zero good things happen to my teams. Um, but I will say one thing about success, right? I'm sure you've talked about this, but success has been so redefined in college football. And as somebody who went to college during the 90s, where you could win eight games and go win the Cotton Bowl and high-five your friends and say, hey, that was a really eight and four Cotton Bowl win. That was an awesome season. That just doesn't exist in the same way anymore. And so what happens, especially if you're at a so-called top-tier school, is it's either playoff or bust. And there's not a lot of room in between those things. So when Texas beat Georgia in that Sugar Bowl, was that not... What, what was the temperature of the fan base? Obviously, the, the big Texas is back from Sam Ellinger and thrown back in their face a little bit, but but had to be a, a high point at, at that point, right? It's great to have two pieces of audio from Joe Tessitore and Sam Ellinger that should just be played over and oh, over again. The Tessitore one was at my expense at, at a game that I was at. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I, I I deeply apologize for the for you being part of the false hope of Texas football. Um, it felt exciting. And I think you could imagine a trajectory where they had gotten to, and look, I think you can argue with Tom Herman that they had kind of gotten to the eight or nine win level. Things were pretty good last year. Mm -hmm. I think they had three losses in a shortened season and they were by like a combined 15 points, 12 points, something like that. So Texas good was a pretty good team. This is, this is not a continuation of what happened under Tom Herman. It's actually much, much worse. And I think, too, if you look at Texas over the last 10 years, a lot of little false hope seasons. Oh, oh maybe, maybe. Well, I always joke about people say Texas lost, but they may have just found their quarterback. That's the headline we just we read like every year. It's like, no, no, but we lost again. And the guy really didn't even turn out to be a great quarterback. So anyway. No, I, I understand. I mean, going to the going to the SEC, I don't know if there's ever a good time to go to the SEC for football, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine some of the excitement from from when the news was announced uh, just before the season started probably has to have turned into a little bit of a trepidation. What is what is your uh, mentality as as that move is X number of years on the horizon? I'll be honest, I wasn't that excited about it anyway. Because what does it mean? Well, it means Texas is a winner, so to speak, in the risk game of college football. It means Texas is going to make more money, which doesn't matter to me at all. Like, who cares about that? Um, it means football is going to get a lot harder within the conference, which seems like a bad thing. And I just, that was one of those announcements where I, I kept looking at myself going, I guess I'm supposed to be happy. I'm not happy. At, at most, I'm ambivalent. Well, you got to be excited about the TV ratings and what those are going to do for you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't wait, you know, and, I, you know, there's this whole thing about, you know, you can argue, okay, they get to, they go to the SEC, there's this ESPN television machine that props them up and helps them recruit in a way that being in the Big 12 has become a liability, right? Texas A&M's in the SEC, Texas in the Big 12, you're, you're just, you're running with weights when you're trying to recruit a lot of the time because you're just not in the primo conference. I, I totally get all that, but Texas hasn't won the Big 12 in a decade. 
And so the whole idea is that you're going to go win the SEC West against these other huge. I mean, I just that that was one of those things where again, I just felt like everybody's so happy. We got him. Ah, we got him. We we tricked Baylor and Texas Tech, and we hoodwinked him, and now we're off to the SEC. And I'm like, are we really supposed to be happy about this? We just lost to Baylor. We just <laughs> lost to Oklahoma State. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go beat Bama. Okay. It's like, it's like Texas secured a seat at a table that there was never any doubt that a seat was going to be available to them. So <laughs> I'm with you on that one. I, I don't, I, you know, there's, there's some Texas A&M, Texas rivalry stuff that. Uh, Which is like, awesome. Yeah, I love I'm that like, rivalry. I'm happy, but we could do that now. The reason we're not doing that now is because both schools are too ridiculous to do it. Yeah. Maybe we should have been playing that for the last, you know, however many years. Yeah. We'd, we'd be coming up. Uh, We'd be coming up on it uh, next weekend, I guess. So, uh, so yeah, it'll it'll be good to get that one back, at the very least. Um, we covered a lot. I mean, I, I imagine you don't want to talk about pet monkeys or uh, or, or like that. that, that. <laughs> and there's more even today. Before we came on the air, Brian Jones of uh, CBS went on an Austin radio station with this with this kind of, you know, vague news report that the Texas donors right now we're in the donor stage of any kind of bad football season are trying to influence apparently who plays in the games and nobody quite knows what he's talking about, but it's just lit up the message boards like a pinball machine today. And it's just kind of like, Oh, good. You know, (laughs) we needed one more news cycle. I think something really, really random. You know more about Texas football certainly than I do. Is there is there even a one percent chance that that's true? I don't know. I, mean, I, I think the donor thing, the donor thing, has been kind of the control V thing to talk about Texas ad. Just kind of it, it has replaced Mac Brown. Thought Johnny Manziel was a safety. It's like the one thing everybody says about Texas football. And I'm always kind of like, don't aren't there meddling donors everywhere? Aren't there crazy donors everywhere? Isn't the problem that just Texas hasn't been good at football? The, I mean, the all these guys were around when Mac was around and winning and winning uh, championships. So I just I, I I find perhaps it's a little overstated, but also <laughs> at this point I'm willing to believe anything. The the donors I feel like Squid Game put a put a face to the to the donors <laughs> of of message board ilk in terms of who who people think are are pulling the strings at uh, yeah. at major yes. college football programs. Um, I mean, this has been great. Any anything that you just want to talk about college football related? I, I open the floor to you. Any any playoff thoughts? Uh, any anything that you just want to uh, to chop up about? I'll a couple of things. One is I'm I am going to miss the the old Big Twelve against the Big Twelve is going to sail into the future in slightly different form. Big Twelve started when I was a freshman at UT in 1996. I think it was a reason I went to UT because I remember opening the then sports page and being like whoa, look at all these teams. And like, I'm going to get to play all these schools that I've never seen before. Oklahoma is going to become a conference game. It was seen as this real superpower conference, you know, at the time. So I'm sad to bid that adieu. I may be in the tiny, tiny group of humanity that is, but, uh, but I am. On the playoff, you know, this is like such a funny thing with me because this has been always been my theory about the college football postseason. I didn't actually hate the BCS as much as other people. I I didn't. I was a defender of it for the most part. Yeah. And here's the problem. What if there aren't four good teams? Or what if there aren't four great teams? I almost think we need this crazy system. Here's my crazy system. We need a different system every year. Okay. Sometimes there's four teams. Okay. Four-team playoff. Sometimes, Texas, USC, you mentioned, there's only two teams. You mentioned Texas and USC haven't played an extra game that year if they're both the only two teams in the country are 12 and 0 and won road games against Ohio state and Notre Dame that 
that okay, two teams. Sometimes remember the year LSU went 12 and 0 and had beaten Alabama and had beaten a crazy number of top 20 teams in the SEC that year. There shouldn't have been that should have been like the old UPI championship in the 70s. Oh, we're we're done here. You're the national champions. We don't even need a postseason. So my proposal has always been that it should just change. We should be able to look at the, the top 25 or look at even if you want to look at the um, the manufactured playoff rankings every year and be like, OK, here's what we need. You know, and hell, we might get to this one. And it's like, I just think George is the national championship. I've seen enough. You know, I don't, I don't know that they need to play another game. I, I certainly like the idea. My concern is whatever committee is in charge of, of deciding on the format would would blow the would blow the decision on the format uh you know they they have a hard enough time ranking teams one thing one thing that concerns me a little bit it seems like this year and i do try to stay away from the tuesday night show because it is it is just a tv show but there there does seem to be more mention of the committee using various advanced metrics this year and it sounds closer and closer to them just taking the same numbers that vegas is using and ranking the teams based on that. And listen, Vegas, Vegas knows better than anyone else knows, but at, at some point the play, the play on the field has to mean something. I've heard people say, you know, okay, if, if Ohio State and Oregon were to play on a neutral field right now, Ohio State's a 10-point favorite. They were a 14-and-a-half-point favorite the time that they did play. And, and, and they lost. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's, that's just my uh, – Got I, I agree. And the numbers thing with college football, somebody could write a whole story about this, but it's always been weird. Cause you remember in the BCS when they were doing all the computer polls and averaging mm-hmm. those crazy polls and people started always talking dismissively about the computers <laughs> and we were in the money ball era and everybody was hating computers because computers weren't giving them the result they thought they wanted. So there's always been this tension of, hey, we're in like the DVOA era of football. And we understand that there are these things that teams records and teams, you know, play on the field can't always tell us with our eyes. But also weirdly distrustful because this is being run by this group of humans that we don't trust. I just find that very funny. And I'm not quite sure how to untangle it. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, the, anytime that someone says they're against analytics, it's like, well, the word analytics, it's just... It's just information, you know, packaged in a, in a way that's hopefully helpful. But uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely where we are. Of, I don't know. I think we're, we're destined as college football fans. Everyone is, is going to kind of always hate the system that we have. Um, yes. and, and as many people have, have said before, before I, I mean, that, that's part of the fun. Um, the, the yelling about it and the, and the being snubbed and, and UCF claiming the 2017 national championship. These are part of the you know, I think these are these are uh, qualities, not uh, not problems with with the sport. I feel I feel it sort of replaced recruiting, which 20 years ago was the real you know shoulder season of college football. Was we have all this recruiting talk that's still there, but recruiting's become a little more canned and a little more packaged, and you know everything three weeks in advance. There's not many surprises so, anymore. Yeah, so bagging on the playoff. I generally, I'm not, I'm not, I've enjoyed all the college football playoffs, even when Alabama's playing Washington. I think I've watched every game. I do just worry about playoff creep in every sport. You know, if you look at the the way the NCAA tournament has grown, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, we got 64. Oh, wait, I don't think we have enough teams in here. We, we may we may need 68. I don't know that these are the, the best teams in college basketball. Well, and then UCLA messes it up by going to the final four last year. So, so you know. Exactly. So there's always going to be an incentive. And you look at the NFL. The NFL 
came up with a system to put the Chicago Bears in the playoffs last year. At least they were on Nickelodeon. At least they were on Nickelodeon. At least they were on Nickelodeon. But there's always playoff creep, right? It's always going to get bigger because there are financial incentives for it to get bigger. But that doesn't always mean it should get bigger. You know, everybody's like, well, you can put 12 teams or whatever teams in the college football playoff and make a lot of money. Well, that's great. What college football needs is a lot of money. Good. But sometimes I'm like, you know what? Maybe this is just fine. Or maybe maybe we just should take this slow because once you go eight or 12 or whatever it is, you're never going to get back down. Nothing will ever shrink because then you'll leave money on the table. I am in favor of a plan that, that puts first round games on college campuses. That is, I would say, the one the one major positive if we can get that. But uh, but aside from that, I, I do think this should uh, you know make it make it as exclusive as possible. And that's sort of what uh, college football is always about. Can you stay perfect? And the, the further yes. we get from that, it is going to just turn into the teams with the best recruiting rankings are going to win every national championship because you can afford one or two slip ups and still, you know, have your chance at the end. They talk about expanding the playoff gives more teams a chance. I ultimately think it gives fewer teams a chance because in in the off year that Alabama loses two games and you can avoid them in the current four team playoff, that's not going to be the case in a 12 team playoff. And you're not going to want to see them as, as a six seed or, or whatever they may be. I think I think you're exactly right. And that's the, when I feel old fashioned. It's because I, I love one thing I did love about college football was that pursuit of perfection. It's the only only sport where that's the case. We were trying to win all the games and one stupid little game against Iowa State on a Thursday night could just ruin everything for your team. Yeah. And I just, you know, when that, that has gone away to some extent, right, George is like, hey, take a mulligan. We're, we're still in the playoffs. Alabama's had a lot of mulligans, even in years they won the national title. And it's fine. Again, I, I, don't, I don't hate it, but I do miss that being the goal. That specific sick feeling waking up on a Sunday morning after the first loss of the season and just kind of remembering that, that it's oh. real and that you are living in a, in a, in a world where your team is no longer undefeated. Usually for me growing up, yeah. it was like the second, second or third week of September for me. But, uh. <laughs> no, it was wait. They wait for Stanford, you know, it was, uh, they went to a little bit down the line. I remember those Notre Dame losses. They were always on NBC and it was always like a big deal when they lost one of those games. It was, it was never, there was a, there was a BC loss on like my 11th or 12th birthday. That was just, oh. um, Brian, thank you very much for, for joining. Once again, you can find Brian on Twitter at Brian Curtis. That's Brian with a Y, where he is always reminding us of the beauty of used bookstores. And listen to the Press Box pod, which I, I really enjoy. Uh, in, instead of talking about the news, he's talking about the media coverage of the news. So when the news itself is terrible, it's, it's a nice degree of separation. So thank you very much, Brian. Thanks for having me. This has been a healing, cathartic experience. That's what we try to be here. All right, now on to week 12. Can't believe we're already here, down to the final two weeks of the regular season. The final playoff push really starts in earnest as things begin to take shape. We've got three games at noon with varying degrees of meaningfulness. Let's start with the biggest one, Ohio State host Michigan State in what's essentially an elimination game for both the Big Ten race and the playoff race. The Buckeyes are 19-point favorites in this one, coming off a 28-point win over Purdue, but I remain a little skeptical. All of a sudden, it seems like there's this conversation about Ohio State, like they put some of the early season struggles behind them and, and they're just juggernaut, and I just don't quite see that. 
Uh, sure, the Purdue performance was dominant and, and not to take anything away there. But what about the two weeks prior? Um, that, that's two consecutive weeks of nine-point wins that were really one-possession games the entire way against Nebraska and Penn State. Say what you want about Nebraska losing close games and being better than the record indicates, but they are 3-7. and seven. And, and just because a lot of people overrated Penn State earlier in the year doesn't make them a good team. That, that's one of the worst offenses I've seen across all of college football this season. And they scored 24 on Ohio State. So Michigan State has a much better offense than anyone Ohio State has played this season outside of Oregon. And their offense actually might be better than the Ducks. Ultimately, I think the Buckeyes win this one um, I, with 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 the offense of Olave and Wilson and Henderson, to name a few among many. I think it's just going to be too much for Michigan State, but I do expect this to be relatively close, definitely a high-scoring affair. So give me Michigan State plus the 19 as pick number one for the week. I see that as a final margin uh, in the range of 42 to 31 Buckeyes. Iowa State visits Oklahoma. A loss for the Sooners would fully eliminate them from playoff contention, while a loss for the Cyclones is going to be a major hit to their greatest together team status. Uh, Clemson hosts Wake Forest in a game with serious ACC implications. Uh, Clemson four and a half point favorite in this one. I just don't understand why. Uh, during their current three-game win streak, Clemson has beaten Florida State by 10, Louisville by 6, and a coachless UConn by 37. None of that screams to me that Clemson has really figured things out. Uh, we know Wake Forest can score. Granted, they have not played a, a single defense anywhere near the caliber of Clemson's. But the Deacons' lowest point total this season has been 35 points, and they're averaging 45 points per game. Uh, aside from South Carolina State and UConn, Clemson has never scored more than 30 in a game this season. So, Apologies for taking such a simple approach, but I'm just more confident in Wake scoring points than I am in Clemson scoring points. So give me the Deacons in this one. Um, if Wake Forest wins this week or next week at BC, they lock up a spot in the ACC championship game. If Wake loses both, we end up with one of those potential rock, paper, scissors situations between Wake, Clemson, and NC State. Uh, also at noon, my, my second pick of the week, give me BC minus two and a half versus Florida State. Uh, you might be able to actually get that at a lower number by the time you're listening to this. The way I see it, Florida State coming off the big emotional win against Miami. They have no interest in traveling to Boston to play a game in, in the low 40 degree temperatures. Uh, Phil Dracovic is back. That BC team is, is pretty solid. And I just think that they can handle a Florida State team in a game that they just... They're going to care more about it than the Seminoles. So uh, BC laying uh, less than a field goal. Feel good about that one. Notre Dame and Georgia Tech kick off at 2.30. Notre Dame's seen uh, some, some mixed re results on senior day, but mostly been good lately. Um, Georgia Tech running back Jameer Gibbs is, is an absolute weapon for Georgia Tech. Unclear if quarterback Jeff Sims is going to play, but he's definitely a playmaker if he can go. Um, Notre Dame should win this game with, with some comfort, but Georgia Tech has enough explosiveness on offense to, to potentially pull the upset. So if Notre Dame wants to win, they are going to have to play well. They can't sleepwalk through this one and expect to win. Just a, a quick note on ND, and, and this isn't specific to the Irish, but, but as a fan of Notre Dame, it's just something that I specifically notice. 
It's funny how everyone hates the teams that are actually in the top four or the teams that are undefeated and just want to dissect them and, and you know, say what's wrong with them. Um, you know, and, and Notre Dame certainly experienced that in 2018 and 2020. Uh, but then when you're one of the teams that's on the outside, uh, all of a sudden you're viewed as this team that's really getting hot at the right time or, or someone that no one wants to play right now. And it's just it's a funny reminder that what's said on TV is said for TV. You know, th these are TV shows. And, and just for example, this Notre Dame team this year, 2021 Notre Dame, is nowhere close to as good as the 2018 or 2020 teams. But because they're currently ranked number eight, as opposed to being ranked number three, they're just being treated by, you know, they're being treated like, like just more of a threat than those actually superior teams were. Just an uh, interesting observation that, uh, that I noticed over the last week or so of discussion. Uh, four games in the 3.30 window that are worth watching. I'll start with UAB at UTSA. Uh, this is the toughest game left on the Roadrunner schedule as they try to go undefeated. Just a four and a half point spread in this one. I think UTSA wins by a touchdown or more. Arkansas visits Alabama. Alabama is a 21 point favorite. Uh, they're probably going to win easily, but at this stage of the season, uh, if a halfway decent team has a chance to knock Alabama from playoff contention, worth paying attention to. Uh, also, Alabama's defense has been suspect, so let's see if that continues uh, as the committee might need to be, you know, just evaluating the team as a whole if, if we're in a situation where a two-loss Alabama uh, is, is going up against some, some other one-loss teams come uh, selection time for the college football playoff field. Third and final pick of the week uh, comes in the Cincinnati SMU game where the Mustangs are getting 12 points visiting the Bearcats. Let's face facts. Cincinnati has been unimpressive in four consecutive games. Uh, their opponents in those four games has a combined record of 9-30. and 30. Their opponent this week has a record of 8-2. and two. Um, and, and they're going to win outright if Cincinnati doesn't play much better. I'm shocked by this spread. Uh, I, I don't think the question is whether SMU covers. I think the question is whether they win outright. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that SMU does win the game outright, but just to be safe, let's take the 12 points there. Virginia heads to Pitt in what is almost an ACC semifinal. Uh, Pitt clinches the division with a win. Virginia would still have a little work to do, but would be in good shape. If Brennan Armstrong is 100%, this should be a great game, but I have to imagine he's still got some lingering problems from the rib injury and given that he's such a huge part of that offense, as, as we saw what Virginia looked like without him last week, uh, I, I just I have to go with Pitt uh, without for sure knowing his status. So we'll see the Panthers clinch the division um, and, uh, and, and keep it rolling. 4 p.m., USC hosts UCLA at the Coliseum. Uh, I mention this game every year because both teams are going to wear their home uniforms, and it's going to look great. That's, uh, that's all the analysis I have for that one. 5.30, Baylor at Kansas State, um, potentially important in the Big 12 champion, uh, in the Big 12 championship race, and, and maybe an outside chance with some real chaos that Baylor could find themselves back in the playoff picture. Uh, you know, probably unlikely, but, but I'd say worth monitoring. 7.30, uh, we've got Oregon at Utah, arguably the most important Game of the day for teams with playoff aspirations as the Utes are a three-point favorite 
and a loss likely knocks the Ducks out of, of playoff contention. I think Mario Cristobal uses the point spread as motivation. Uh, this Oregon team is, is going to remind everyone how good they are in the trenches. Uh, Utah is known for being a very physical team. This Oregon team is not the, the Marcus Mariota type teams of old. This is a physical team in the trenches. I ultimately think guys like, like Travis Dye on offense and Kayvon Thibodeau on defense make enough plays for Oregon to pull the upset and leave Salt Lake City with a win and its playoff hopes intact. 8 p.m., we have Oklahoma State at Texas Tech. The Pokes are a 10-point favorite, but with Bedlam looming, they need to make sure they aren't caught sleeping in Lubbock uh, if they want to keep their playoff hopes alive. Uh, I, I would not be able to call this the Scoop and Score podcast if I didn't call attention to the funniest rivalry in all of sports, the civil conflict between UCF and Connecticut. As always, shout out to Bob Diaco, wherever you are, you beautiful bastard. Uh, quick shout out to Utah State, hoping uh, hosting, although they are hoping for a win as they host Wyoming this weekend. If they do win, they clinch a spot in the Mountain West Championship game. Go Aggies. All right, just a, uh, a quick programming note. There may or may not be an episode next week. With Thanksgiving, it's just a little harder to get it done. Uh, plus, the, uh, the United States Podcast Advisory Board, the, uh, the USPAB, as, uh, as they're known, they have rules about how many minutes each podcast can run in, in a given calendar year. Uh, and given that the following week will be the return of, of the conference championship preview with Tommy Vegas and Danny Dimes, we might need to save up all the minutes we can. So, uh, so yeah, you might, you might hear from me next week. You might not. Either way, this is the Scoop and Score podcast wishing you a very happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. That concludes the Scoop and Score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul.